I want you to open your Bibles again this morning to Luke chapter 21. We've been there the last two Sundays. I thought maybe we were done last week, but we weren't. I think that the, what we're saying here about the subject, the day that is and the day that is coming, is really important. Because you see, we're living in a day today, in our lifetime right now, as I'm speaking, as you're sitting here, we're living in a day in which the Bible defines we're told what's going to happen in the last days. We're told the kind of activities that people are going to be involved in. We're warned about all the kinds of corruption that you'll see on the earth. Religious corruption, evil men and imposters are going to wax worse and worse. Dangerous, perilous times are coming. We see it everywhere, but the problem is we get used to it. It's not happening right here where I live, so I'm sorry for them. But, and you kind of get hardened to it so that you quit watching you quit paying attention to it. And all these things that are happening, whether on the other side of the world or here in Shelbyville or in wherever you live, all these things are signs and signals that God gives us about what he's already said that you need to pay attention to. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, you know, take heed. Take heed that no man deceive you. And when you see these things come to pass, and this means this. In our text here, Luke 21, he said, Take heed yourself, lest at any time, verse 34, your hearts be overcharged with serpenting, and that day come upon you unawares. Because it will. It really will come upon a lot of good church-going folks unawares. Either they did not take to heart what was going on and what the Bible said, or they just assumed, you know, everything will be all right. Nothing's going to happen. And he said in verse 35, For a snare that shall come on all them to dwell on the face of the whole earth. A snare, a trap, something that will be sprung suddenly. And people weren't ready for it. Like a thief in the night. You weren't ready for that. They weren't. And so this is the day we're living in. And there's also a day coming. Like in the 36th verse, he said, You pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that are going to come to pass on the face of the whole earth and that you'll be able to stand before the Son of Man. Now, that would be in approval because the opposite of standing before the Son of Man is being turned away from, unworthy of his presence. You want to make sure that through all of the stuff you're hearing and through all the things that are coming, though it's not here yet, you really do. In the busyness of our activity and our schedules, and all the things we got to do in places we have to go. You better make sure that you give place to what God is saying and listen to what he's saying because it can happen so quick. Just happens so quick. How many people have heard news that just destroyed their life? Some report of something that come up, not even thought about, not even, oh, no, that couldn't be, and there it is. And all of a sudden your life changes. So he said for us, in light of the last days and the things that are coming, to be ready always. Now, we were told, I said last week in Luke 17, that two of the great warnings in Luke 17 were, as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be at the end. Now, if there was ever a day that when I think of Lot and Sodom and the decrepit, abominable conditions that were in Sodom and Gomorrah with the filth and perversion that was there, I think, you know, I'm seeing similar things happening today. Today, we all are. But we're getting so used to it that it doesn't mean anything. That, you know, men with men, women with women, or people living together and just ignoring fundamental, decent things in life, like marriage, I mean, that doesn't mean anything anymore because so much of it is happening, you get used to it. Everything from insemination to laboratory babies to whatever they're trying to do today to cloning things. I mean, it, people are trying to be gods. We're living in a day like no other day that has ever been. And then in the days of Lot and Noah, there was violence. It is so possible in the time we're in, more and more, 
bad violence is a reality, nuclear violence. Now, I'm glad God's in control because meanness and ugliness, lack of regard for life or other people inspired in people that grew up this way or their religion has made people just unfit for society. And their whole life is around killing other people. Even if it means blowing up yourself to kill somebody else, you don't even know. And you're living in a day which 30 years ago, that was unheard of. Nobody would do that. Not even the people that are doing it would do that. But here we are in the last days when the warping of man's minds and decency and things that are honorable, it's an incredibly perilous times in which people are liable to do anything today. I mean, you don't know what they're going to do. And entertainment, anything that's nasty and vulgar and continues to be vulgar and nasty, people like that. That's what they go for. And music today has become so vulgar. I mean, a certain segment of music has become so vulgar and nasty. And they got that rock beat, and people are, are dressing for the beat and moving to the beat. And churches want to bring that into their service so as to attract a younger crowd. They're not coming to Jesus. They're coming to fun and games in a religious atmosphere. We're living in the last days. We're living in a time that is unheard of. Well, it's not unheard of. We've been warned about it. We just haven't put it all together as we should sometimes. And these things are happening. Now, I said in closing last week that, number one, in all of that's going on and all of the possible danger that can be anywhere, God is in control. God has his hand on his creation. He is in providential, absolute, sovereign control of this earth. His promises to you, as we'll see later, is he will never leave you nor forsake you. No evil shall befall you. No plague will come near your dwelling. He will give his angels charge concerning you, and he shall keep you in all your ways. Now, that's the promise he gives to us, giving us confidence, if we believe it, that God's going to take care of us in all that's going on, all the stuff that is happening. He's going to take care of us as well as supply all of our needs for warfare. That was secondly. Our warfare is not against people. It's not against Iranians or Mediterraneans or Middle Easterners. Our warfare is against spirits, evil spirit, demons, spirits that the Bible describes that seek the habitation of human bodies. And these spirits come in to redo a human life and to make it what it, God never intended for it to be, whether they be Infirm spirits, blindness, sickness, palsy, or, you know, all kinds of illnesses and all kinds of deranged people. This is the work of spirits. They're called evil spirits in the Bible. The average Christian wouldn't have a clue how to deal with that because if you can't take a pill for it, how do you deal with it? If you can't get an operation for it, how do you deal with it? And yet God didn't give us that to overcome with. He gave us his word, and the word tells us what we can do. The Bible says the word is the sword of the spirit. We have everything we need to successfully endure, overcome, and face all the adversity that's promised in this last days, when this earth literally is going to reel to and fro. That sounds like great catastrophes taking place on the earth in the last days. It's going to reel to and fro. Boom. And yet he's given us everything we need to successfully face and endure all of that. And I'm looking forward, most of all, to escaping all these things that are coming. Like he said, pray that you'll be worthy to escape all this. What would escape mean? Well, I would imagine it's that old word rapture. It's not in the Bible, but it certainly is a truth that we'll be counted worthy to be caught up and get out of here and be with the Lord. And then when he comes back to establish his kingdom, we'll come back with him. And we will reign and rule with Christ on this earth. That's in the Bible too. Now, last question I asked before we ended was, who will escape? Of all the things I'm talking about, you know, even though God is in control and we have weapons given to us, it doesn't mean they just work. You've got to use them. But in light of all of this, who will escape? Who will finish this course in life and not turn back, not cave in, not faint, not fall back, not quit? Who? My answer was simply the faithful.
those who have determined in this life, in the brevity, the briefness of this life, they have determined that I'm going to take what I have heard that I can read for myself and see as a word of God to me. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to rely on it, lean on it. And I'm going to expect God, that's my hope, expect God to do this. And this is what I'm going to do. Now, you'll be tested to see if you will, but these are the ones that are going to survive. Now, this morning, I'd like you to go back in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, because there are four indicators here. I certainly pray that you're familiar with all of this. I'm sure you are, but I want to remind you of four things that God said to Joshua, specific things about a man's faithfulness. If you want to triumph, if you want to endure to the end, here is a good place to start to find out what it takes. This is God's instruction to us and to one man, Joshua. I want to speak this morning to all of us Joshua's. I don't know what the feminine pronunciation of Joshua, whatever, but girl Joshua's, the Joshua mindset. Those to whom God gave instructions as to how to walk your life and walk your ways in the last days. And I believe we can get something here from this. Verse 5. Let me pick it up from verse 5. There shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Now, why? See, I ask myself, what's the difference between Joshua and all these other guys that didn't stand all the days of their life? Well, let's read it on. He said, Joshua, here's what I'm telling you. No man is going to be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. And I will not fail you. And I will not forsake you. Would you believe that if he said that to you? Listen, we all know this because we can look back over the last 30 years. It doesn't always look like this is working but you're still here. So it did work, but it doesn't look like it's working. It looks like we're going to lose, that we're going to fall apart, that this isn't going to work, that we've been misled. But he said, Joshua, I will be with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. That's what God said. Now, here's the reason why these things will happen. This is why I will do that for you. Here it is. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people you shall divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, as you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the left or to the right, that you may prosper or have success wherever you go. Now twice, so far, twice God has said, be strong and have courage. Twice. Because he said these are two key ingredients as to how God's blessings come into a person's life. Because you're going to have an enemy that tries to make you weak and fearful. He said, but if you'll be strong and courageous, this is what you will find me out to be in your life. I will be all you need. Verse 8, powers in the word. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate, ponder, think about therein day and night so that you may observe to do according to all that is written in that word. For then, for then, based on that, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success, which is something we all want and strive for. Verse 9, our text. For today, have I not commanded you? And again, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever you go. Four things there that are good indicators of a man's faithfulness that brings God's provisions. Take the first one. Be strong. Be very strong. Strong, strength. In what way are we strong? Is it naturally? 
then if so, then we need to go to a gym and start jumping up and down with headphones on, or I don't know what they do, but, or exercise, nothing wrong with exercise. It does profit a little. I'm glad the Bible says little, but it does profit a little, but he's not talking about natural strength. Our enemy is not a natural enemy. We don't wrestle against that neighbor next door. As I've already said, there are spirits that are in people. Now, these spirits are so strong, they overwhelm people. They capture people. They manipulate and maneuver people, and they actually control people. There are some people that are just under the control of a certain specific kind of spirit. That's their personality. I mean, this is what the thing does. But the Bible said you got to be strong. See, you got to be stronger than that thing is. You got to be stronger than all of those things those spirits are. For the Bible describes us as being seated in heavenly places and principalities and powers and all those things that are under Jesus' feet are under our feet also because in Colossians 2, 6, it says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, we got to realize this because this is a faith walk. These things are said to us so that we can put two and two together and start seeing things God's way. Because God looks at the earth the way a grown-up would look at a grasshopper. And yet, if you don't see it God's way, you'll be like a grasshopper looking up at people trying to step on you. And you should be the head and not the tail. You should be above and not beneath. Because God has so said that we as Christians should triumph daily in Christ that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, God not only raises up a standard against him, but we are to resist him in the faith. And if you resist him with your faith, he will flee from you. So that makes you stronger than him. Now, that's what the academic thing is about all of it. That's what the Bible declares. It's obvious that lots and lots and lots of Christians don't believe that or aren't sure about that because they are easily Defeated by whatever comes along, fear and uncertainty. And yet we're not supposed to be defeated. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. But if you don't know that, that'll never work for you. That's why he said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You read it and then you ponder it. Because it doesn't mean the first time you read it that you suddenly understand it. Stay with it. It's a work of the Spirit to bring information to you, spirit of wisdom and revelation and so forth, to begin to open your eyes to see these wondrous things that the psalmist talked about. And when you begin to see them, they begin to change your life. As Bonnie said, went to a faith meeting, a little first time we'd ever been to a live and living color faith teacher. Wow. 1969. And on the way home, I remember Bonnie saying to me, we've been robbed. We have been robbed. As we look back in both of our family trees at all the chaos, the problems that came into the family that we just let them come with the philosophy that my ancestors had been taught. Well, you know, it's just life. It's just the way it works. And some people have a better go at it than others. And there's not much you can do about it. And there's a resignation to fate. You just let it happen. And people died early and died wrongly. And well, what can you do? About These people were, and I mean this kindly, because my ancestors on where they are, God bless them all, but they were ignorant. They were spiritually ignorant. They could do their math and do their geometry and do their history, and they were brilliant. But when it came to Jesus Christ and the most important thing that you could ever have, and that's the knowledge of his word, they were duds. You know why? Because nobody ever taught them. Because the idea of the little church in the wild wood, oh, come, 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 come to the church, in the little church in the veil, just a little family space where we all come together and just marvel at the goodness of God and how gracious he is and just enjoy each other. Good. Nothing wrong with fellowship. But boy, there's got to be something, I would call it what I've learned, intense. 
something has to pop up. The word has to pop up and get your attention, and you go, what? And that thing has to come at you like this is the truth. And without this, you're going to fail your whole life. What? And then God graciously opens your eyes to see that that's true. And you go, oh, man, where have we been all these years? Well, if God hadn't opened our eyes, we'd still be in the little church in the wild woods singing holy, holy, holy. Psalm book number one. Not knowing right from wrong, letting whatever happens, happens. Spiritual strength, don't know what it is. Strong in the Lord, what's that? I go to church, I sing in the choir, I help on work weeks. But strong, overcoming, keeping the devil at his place, casting him out, I don't know anything about that. Because they've been robbed, just like we were robbed. And I praise God for those many years ago when our eyes were opened. And I make no apologies for telling the same thing to you, whether you want to hear it or not. I say it anyway because I know it works. I know it's true. And I know that it sets us free. Like a bird loose from a cage, it gets free. Boy, life's bigger than a cage. And man, but if it hadn't been that God opened the eyes all my life, I think in church, you know, the preacher would say something, I'd try to figure it out. Yeah, I don't know. But one day God sets all of that aside and he's something is said and then a spiritual revelation comes. Not everybody has this. Some people do. And it changes your life because it compels you to get into this word, like he said in verse 8, and to meditate in this word. Is that really in there? Did God really mean that? Can this possibly be? Can I actually be well? Is this possible? Because I don't know anybody that's always well. Can it be? Maybe I'm a, one of these people that think, well, if you don't see it happening, then it doesn't happen. But I look at God and it says, if it never happened to anybody, it will happen for you. If you believe it. Be strong in the Lord. How can we be strong? In what way then am I going to be strong? It's verse 7. Verse 7 of that first chapter there where he said, be strong and courageous for this reason that you may observe to do. Now, that's what we call faith. But listen to me. You don't have faith because you thought it was a good thing you're about to do. Faith is a product of observing to do. Observe what? Verse 8, this book of the law. What does the book of the law say? Well, it says a lot of things. What does it say to you right now where you are about what you're doing? Well, it says this. It kind of bothers me. Do what it said. Oh, Brother Hamilton, big problems brewing. Something's coming up. I'm making this up now. Oh, man. Uh, Brother Hamilton, what are we going to do? I say, well, what's our marching orders? What have we been taught? What's the Bible say? Are we going to do that? What's, you're asking me what we're going to do. I'm asking you, what have we been told to do? We don't need to ask the question anymore. Excuse me. We don't need to ask the question anymore. We already know what to do. The problem is a faith problem. Are you willing to take God at his word and live and act like the word is true, that he will deliver you, that he will not forsake you, that you will survive and you'll make it and you'll overcome? Do you believe that? Otherwise, I cannot be strong. I may be verbal. I may be intelligent. I may know the Bible from one corner to the other. But if I don't trust its content, what have I? Frustration, stuff like that. Look at verse 8 again. It said, this book of the law. How many hundreds of times have you been told that this is where faith comes from. This book of the law shall not depart. It means it becomes a part. It does not depart. It stays with you. God gave it to you as something to inhabit you, to have the word in your mind, the word in your thoughts, to think on these things, to be word of God minded. 
be able, like we said Wednesday, to be able to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is within you because you've studied to show yourself approved unto God a workman who needed not to be ashamed. So I don't know, I don't know much about the Bible. Well, you should. You should. If we can shove it down your throat every week just hard enough and then kick you while we're shoving it down, you ought to know something about it. Well, that's called brainwashing, isn't it? I hope we're doing a good job of it. I sure hope we can wash some brains. Romans 12, 2 is a better way of saying brainwashing is by the renewing of your mind. But if we don't do this, if all we do the rest of our life is go to church and listen to some classy, nice, heady, inspired message, but the content never reaches your heart and your life is not affected by that other than a momentary joy or something, then we're going to be defeated all of our lives and our children will be too. Because what God gives to us, we pass on to them. And if we don't, they have to hopefully start over from where we started and they'll have to go through what we went through because we weren't there to show them how to avoid all of that. Remember something Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, and verse 48, you talk about a wonderful verse. Listen at this. These are words that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 6. And in verse 48, like a man that built his house on the rock, and he digged deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon the house and couldn't shake it, for it was founded on a rock. That's just a good picture of strength. How many of you know there's a difference between the strength of a house built on sand and a house built on a rock? That's a good picture of what it takes to be strong because the strength will be revealed in the trial. In the adversity that comes your way, you display your strength, whether or not you're strong or whether or not you're weak. Hebrews 11 talks about those with faith. He said, out of weakness were made strong. I mean, there's many illustrations in the book of Hebrews about the heroes of the faith. And God shows what they did that he called faith. And some of them, he said in Hebrews 11, 33 and 34, he said out of weakness, they were made strong. So these people recognize their weakness. I don't know what I'm going to do. Asa, the king. Asa looked at all these Ethiopians that were coming against him. A million, a million soldiers. That's a big army in one battle. And Asa said, Lord, we don't have any strength against these people. I recognize my insufficiency. I also recognize that I can't run. My back's against the wall because we have no place to run to. We have to fight. We can't avoid this fight. It's coming. We can't get out of this. We don't have what it takes to do this. And he said, Lord, help us do this. And he did, and he won. Now, his son, Jehoshaphat, when a similar number of soldiers came up against him. The Bible says that Jehoshaphat said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but you know, you gave us this land. This land belongs to us. You put us here. You said to Abraham, our father, and all these other things, Solomon's prayer. Now, here we are. And we don't know what to do either. You know what God said to him? He said, you don't have to fight this battle. You don't even need to fight. You don't even need to put, get your sword out. You don't need to load your gun or nothing. Just walk out there and meet them. Just go out where they're coming and take your family and walk out there and see and watch the salvation of God unfold. Whoo, would you do that? Here was a word from God, a wonderful word. We're going to win. But see, the battle hadn't even started yet. These are three bad bunches armed to the hilt. Only thing on their mind was killing Jews. They were just one of many in history. And God told the Jews, you don't need to fight. Don't go out there with the idea of fight. You're not going to fight this battle. You're going to go out there as they come, and you're going to see and watch God save you. And they did. And they did. Because the book of the law had been in their mouths through all these teachers that Jehoshaphat sent throughout all of the nation. And the people were engaged in Bible studies for a long, long time. And when the enemy came in, they were able to respond to God because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. 
The only time in the Bible such a story ever came to pass. That in itself is a picture of the end time church. A church that will be faithful and will triumph in the face of bad adversity without even fighting. God will deliver them and so forth. So you see, I appropriate what God has offered. This book is full of God's promises. And as I appropriate what is in this Bible, as I see it and I realize that God spoke that to me, doesn't it say in Romans 15 and verse 4, what does it say in Romans 15 verse 4 about this Old Testament stuff? The things that were written aforetime were written for what purpose? Well, here we go. We got the book of the law. We read a story that actually happened. We see all these different stories, wonderful stories, if you read them. And the Bible said, we're supposed to learn something here, are we not? And is it not true that if God did it for Jehoshaphat, he'll do it for John and Joe and Joshua and Tom? He's no respecter of persons. His promises are for whoever. All the promises are yes and amen. So Romans 15 says these things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. God helped me to learn something from all of this and not just see it as some cute story. Their life was on the line. If this did not work, if that so-called prophecy that they heard about go and stand ye still, it wasn't God's voice. It was a man's voice. They're basing the fact that God spoke through that man, and they're willing to risk their lives and their children, everything they have in their land. They'd all worked for so hard, all the labor. They're walking out there as though this cannot fail because God said we don't have to fight Yet God didn't say that a man said that, but it turned out that it was God saying that through a man. Now, we read this. We read this story, and we put that with Romans 15, 4, and said, we're supposed to learn something from that. That's supposed to impact us somehow. We're supposed to see something there that is personal and for me now, that God will do something like that for me if I need him to. But this is what the Bible's for. This is why we read it. This is why this book of the law, day and night, you think about it, you meditate on it. You read it in the morning, you'll think about it all day. It'll be on your mind. It is. Somebody will say something to you, and you'll think of two or three verses that go with that. I can hear people say, of course, I do this all the time. It would be easier for me than maybe for you. I've been doing this for 40 years. My brain thinks like this, and I'm glad but I can see things or hear things and a verse of scripture will pop up in my mind and a conclusion like this is what's going to happen. Unless that changes, this is going to happen. And sometimes you drive down the road and you see this person, that person, these kids living that way and this trash here and trash here. And you think, you know, there's death in all of that. All of that is death because it takes all the people that are involved in that and slays them all. It'll slay us if we don't avoid it. If we don't come out from amongst it and be separate, we'll be right there with them, with our Bibles in our hands. But Lord, we prophesy. Lord, we listen to Brother Tom. He said, I never knew you. It went in one of your lovely ears and out the other one. But God says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. He is a saving strength of his redeemed people. He is our strength. And the Bible tells me to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Think of this. If God says, I want you to be strong in the Lord, then my strength is in something he has. It's not mine, it's his. But if he's willing to give to me what he has that is strong, then I'll be strong. Now listen to this. Wonderful verse of scripture. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 13, Jesus said, Behold, I give you power. Be strong in the Lord. Well, here we go. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And he said, And nothing 
shall by any means harm you. You want that? Serpents and scorpions. Huh. I know in Mark 16 it says it will take up serpents. A lot of people think you handle the serpent, and that shows you have faith, as long as you don't get bit by that thing. But he's not talking about serpents here. He didn't say, I give you power over snakes here. He said, bad men, evil men are like serpents. Brood of vipers, does that work? John the Baptist said, you brood of vipers, or maybe Jesus said that. So a snake is a symbol of what is evil. Remember Moses threw his rod down and turned into a snake? And he was scared. You naturally are scared of snakes. Find one in your bathroom when you go home tonight and see how you go, oh, snake. <laughs> Man, there'd be another door in that bathroom. <laughs> but he threw that staff down. It turned into a snake. And God said, pick it up. And he grabbed it. It's a picture for us to see in the New Testament. When he grabbed that serpent by the tail, it became a staff in his hand. And a staff is a symbol of authority. And when he was holding that staff all through his life, he struck it out over the sea, and the sea opened up. It was a symbol of authority. Jesus said, I give you power over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Over all the power of the enemy. What kind of power does the enemy have? Well, you read in the Bible all the ways he exercises his power and authority and destroys. He comes to kill and steal and destroy. And Jesus said, I give you power over all that he's got. Whatever the devil's best shot is, I give you power over it. Now, I should never be a victim of his power. Right? I should never be victimized by the devil in my life because I am with Christ, seated with him in heavenly places, and he's given me what he has. He said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, didn't he? And he said to his disciples, he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you, didn't he? Of course he did. And what did the Father send Jesus to do? First John 3, he said he sent the Son to destroy all the works of the devil. That's what we do. We get him out of our house. We get him out of our family. We get him out of our business. We get him out of situations that are ours. We are supposed to be blessed, not cursed. Amen. And the devil, as I said, he never stops. He's never discouraged, never gives up. You defeat him today, he's waiting tomorrow for another opportunity because he goes about like a roaring lion. He's looking for somebody who's got his guard down, and he wants to, as we'd say in Kentucky, he wants to whoop them. But our strength is in the Lord to be strong. Now go back to Joshua if you've gone anywhere else. Second thing he said in verse 9 is be of good courage. There are many wonderful stories in life about what people with courage did, what people with courage do. People that have courage, that's the, the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty and danger and pain and adversity without fear and being brave. To have courage is to be brave. It doesn't mean that you don't face irky moments and irky times and fearful moments. You do face fearful moments. We'll get to that in the next point because these are all kind of run together. But it's God's instruction, and if we'll heed it, it's our instruction, Romans 15, 4. He said, be very courageous. Now, how does God intend for us to be courageous? Courage, let's put it like this, to have the courage of your convictions. To have courage of your convictions means that you're willing to act in accordance with what you believe in spite of everything that contradicts it. Most people live by preference. They prefer to do this, but under certain situations, they do this. Most things we live by preference. But there's some things that should be convictions. I thank God the people who stay put, who are unmoving, unswerving, unwavering people are convicted people. Sometimes you have to lock these people up. 
you put them in jail because they will not change their convictions. A conviction is a God-ordered belief that I cannot change. A preference is just exactly that. I would prefer to do it this way, but if it came to certain things happening, oh, I would do something else. I would prefer to do it God's way if I can. And I'm not saying there's not cases and times in life that preference is okay. But a conviction, a conviction is where courage shows up. If you don't have convictions about how you should live, the way you should live, the things that you're supposed to do as a Christian, chances are if you don't have that as a conviction, you won't need courage because you'll back off at a moment of trial. If you have courage, you have convictions. There are things that you just believe. Not that somebody besides you believes it or people in the church believe the same way that you do about things, but it's what you believe. It's where your heart is. And you're willing to act in accordance with those beliefs in spite of who's for you, who's against you, who criticizes you, or what it costs in the long run. Well, if you don't make this up, if you don't lay your hand on the Bible and swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God, that puts you in jail, then I'll have to go to jail. You mean you would go to jail instead of, I would. You mean to tell me, the world would say, Christians would say, you mean to tell me that for a little something like that, you wouldn't, no, I really wouldn't. I'm not sure that God isn't putting us to the test in the little things. Doesn't take a big thing for you to be proven, a little thing. There's just a lot of things we need to be convicted about. I would to God there was more conviction in the church because when those convictions are backed up against the wall, and the question, will you change now? Courage says no. No, I, I know this is going to cost me something. It could cost me my job. I'm not going to tell this person on the phone that you're not here when you're sitting right there in front of me. My convictions are that I have to be honest. I cannot live a dishonest life because you pay me money. You can't pay me to be dishonest. I'm not for hire. I'm not for sale to, in order to do things your way. I just can't do it. I knew a man one time, I never forgot this story. He might have forgotten. He had to give up his job because in stacking stuff in the warehouse, and he wasn't going to stack all that medicine for somebody. And they said, well, you can't work here. Said, I don't work here no more. And people say, well, that's the dumbest thing ever. Well, was it or not? You say, well, that wouldn't have bothered me. Well, then you're not him. You're still working there, and he's not because he had a conviction about the fact that that's not what we do. I mean, it's just not a thing that I want to participate in, he said. Courage. In the face of loss and criticism and being put down and shamed in a community, courage just simply says, if that's what I pay, if that's what's going to cost me for my convictions, so be it. So be it. There's just a lot in the Bible about courageous people. There's a lot in life, a lot of war stories, a lot of history about courageous people and what they did and whose lives survived because somebody was courageous. Somebody just had a conviction that somebody ought to do something. Well, I believe I'm going to do something, and they did. And sometimes they lost their life by doing what they believed and were convicted was right. That's what I should do, and they died for it. But that's courage. Courage is a wonderful quality, and God held Joshua to it concerning his relationship to God. He said, Joshua, first of all, be strong and be courageous. I think he said in verse 7, he said, be strong and very courageous. Amplified it, very courageous. You're going to be tempted to quit, Joshua. Everybody that stands in a pulpit that takes any kind of a leadership role or moment Everybody, when you turn around, you can't see them here but because I, I took them off. My, but there's a bunch of zeros on your back like you work for Target. Those are aiming points. And people who have no dog in the fight, they listen to everything you say and the least little anything, it's pew, here comes the arrows or here comes that stuff. Sometimes the courage of your conviction is, is that I know what I'm saying is right. If they want to shoot there, it's fine. If that's part of what you have to go through 
to prove yourself or something, fine. But that's just the way it is. You stand up in front and say something, people will remember it. If you all make a mistake, nobody remembers. If the preacher makes one, nobody forgets. And you can either cower in the presence of that, you can dissolve yourself in the little pool of pity and be a victim, or you can just stand on your convictions. I know this is right. I know this is what God said, and this is what I'm going to do. Verse 9, number 3. Very similar. Be not afraid. It's easy to be afraid. Fear is inner apprehension. Apprehension, something that grips you, it disquiets you, either physical harm, monetary loss. Most people are afraid when they're going to lose. Most people are. Even liberals get afraid on occasion. You know, liberal politicians love to give away stuff, as long as it's not theirs. And when the point comes that you're going to lose here, you're going to lose something. You're going to lose your retirement. You're going to lose your social security, whatever that is. You're going to lose, 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 lose. People get fearful. And when you get fearful, you make bad decisions. It's not that we don't face fear. Psalm 56 says, what time I am afraid I will trust the Lord. So it's not like we discount the idea of fear. Fear is all the time somewhere. I mean, you can be taking the proverbial shower and washing, and what's that? It was a little lump, and you say, oh, no. And the devil says, okay, now, let me, let me tell you what that lump is. That lump is a tumor, a fast-growing type of melanoma, and you're going to die. And and I don't know about you, but I know some of us for 40 years, it's been something, something ugly, swollen, a big knot that turns colors or something that bleeds or something. Honestly, most of the time you just ignore it, refuse to look at it. You can feel it. You just ignore it. One day, month later, two months later, I've heard testimonies a year later, you realize the thing was gone. I think the devil feeds on fear. I think the devil's work feeds on fear. If he can keep you afraid, keep you apprehensive, keep you unsettled in your heart, make you think that you're going to lose this, you're not going to have that, this ain't going to work, so on and so forth, that he can defeat you because fear is easy. All it is is a threat from the devil that you are about to lose your health, your mate, your business, money, and then the picture you get because the devil uses movies. He pops a video in your mind and, and you see yourself, you know, with a little tin can down on Shelby Avenue in Louisville trying to get you a nickel. We laugh, but it doesn't have to be real to make you afraid. Devil doesn't use truth to make you be afraid. He quoted the Bible to Jesus, and Jesus said, get behind me. He didn't quote it right, but he doesn't have to. So, well, the devil lies. And he is a liar. He uses lies to dissuade us and make us afraid and make us think that, oh, this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, oh, this or that. Well, you know, don't talk about dying. Nobody likes to talk about dying. Dying's not a fun subject. But it's going to happen. Like the prophet told Hezekiah, he said, you get your house in order, you're going to die. I don't want to die. And he squalled and bawled, and God sent Elijah back in there and said, tell him he's going to live 15 years. Of course, he had a kid named Manasseh. In those 15, he was a bad man. Israel suffered great sufferings because of Manasseh. But anyway, that's another sermon. But be not afraid. God has not given us, 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given to us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. The spirit of fear, which we're watching, you may not realize, I'll show you, it's happening all over, happening in churches, meetings like ours all the time. Spirit of fear is a spirit of timidity. It's being timid. That's what the word means. Put your finger right there where you are in Joshua. Go all the way back to Hebrews chapter 10. 
Hebrews chapter 10 and the last two verses. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, now the word draw back here means to cower. It's like something that I don't know that I can do this. Well, I'm not sure I'm, and you begin to cower. This faith message is not easy because it's always a challenge for you to do it God's way. And there's this uncertainty, if you've never proven God in that area, that how do you know to work? And so there's a certain kind of apprehension here. Now he said the just, those that are made right with God, they shall live this way. They'll live by faith. It won't happen overnight. It's a slow, tedious, tearful process. But the just will do it. And then he says, but if any man draw back, if you cower, what does God say? You go to heaven anyway. He says, my soul has no pleasure in it. Well, what's the last verse say? But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. We cannot let fear defeat our faith. I can tell you myself, I've lost a battle or two in my life. I looked for a way out, took a way out, not sure, scared. Is saying scared all right? It was a long time ago, but I was scared. I was scared, one, what would happen if I didn't do this? And then I was scared about if I don't do this, what will people think about me? And then if I can't live this life and I can't preach this message, I got no business being here. All kinds of fear. The devil wants you to go this way. If you go this way, you can't go back this way. Well, I'm going to go this way. You're out, you're done, you're going to hell. That's not a very good world to live in. I told a man the other day, he called me from another state about some difficulties and some failures in his life, and he knows that this ain't right, that ain't right. And I said, look, some people could do this better than you did. You obviously couldn't. Where you were is not where maybe others are that did it right. But God isn't through with you yet. He's obviously given you a heart. You're really sorry. You're really sad about the way things have turned out. Why don't you just regroup? God is long-suffering. He's not like some people think. He's just mean and aggravated all the time. God didn't call you out of darkness so you could wallow and flop and fail. He knows you're going to flop and fail every now and then because you're going to have to realize that you need his strength. You're really weak. You can't even handle this. But God says, I will give you something that will make you able to handle anything that's coming. Start here, work your way up while I fail. A righteous man may fall, but God will lift him up. He's not done with us yet. He knows our frame is a fleshly, weak frame. But we can be strong. And we don't have to be afraid. As he told Joshua, he said, don't be afraid. The wicked are. The world lives in terror. That's why they fight and they sue and they fume and they fuss and they barricade themselves in their own little sufficiencies because they're afraid. The world is afraid because of all the fears in these last days, the perilous times. It's more perilous today, maybe because there's more information today. You can hook up on the ratty tat, and it'll probably prove itself to be a ratty tat at the end of the computer, you know. This is Ratty Tat. Something can happen here today, and in five minutes, it's somewhere else. <laughs> I wish I could do something about that. We're living in a time in which information can go greater than it ever has before. A book I'm reading, whenever the president of the United States, first president that died, William Henry Harrison, when he died in office, not over a month after he took office, died of pneumonia, they had to go tell his vice president, Tyler, who lived down in Virginia, that he had died and you need to come to Washington. It took him a day and a half to get there because his cell phone wouldn't work. I mean, it took him, 
They had to ride by horse for a day and a half to get to Virginia to tell them that 130, 40 miles north at Williamsburg, up north, you got to get up there to the big house because you're now the, they don't know if he was the acting president or the actual president. They had to have a big meeting over, is he just acting or is he? Interesting story. But today, it's just a sin. It's all over the world. And you can't get it back. It's like a bullet fire. When you pull the trigger, the bullet's on the way. You cannot go get it back. What it does, it does. If it shouldn't have done what it did, you live with it. If it was an aimless in the air, but I can't think of how many times in my life I've shot at things up in the air and pow, the bullet went over the hillside in the countryside. And now I think, ooh, wonder where the thing landed. But fear is a horrible taskmaster. It makes you act like a coward. It puts you in bondage. It holds you down. Makes you afraid to drive in the snow or the rain or whatever. Listen to this, Proverbs 1. But whoso hearkeneth unto me. Actually, the subject here is wisdom, but wisdom is from God. Now, this is what a wise man with wisdom would say, but this is what wisdom says to him. Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. It just won't affect this person. And as I said, what time I am afraid, I will trust the Lord. Joshua 1, again, for the fourth point. Finally, be not dismayed. There's four traits to a faithful life, a faithful man, what the faithful will do. He is strong. He's of a good courage. Not afraid. Not dismayed. Now, dismayed means to scare or to terrify. The Hebrew word means to shatter. Suddenly everything falls apart. And you really don't know what to do. There's this hopeless and probably helpless feeling that you have. And you just break down. You just fall apart. You're dismayed. Isn't that the work of the devil? What are you going to do now? Oh, no. Oh, no, he says. And when you think like that, begin to live like that. You don't have much of a chance. How can you function if you're just dismayed? A dismayed person is hard to deal with because they're just as, I don't know. I, well, what have you been taught? I don't remember anymore. No, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. We can hit that wall, but shh. Sit down. Let's go over this again. You, did you ever take notes? Yeah. Find some of them and read them. Read the ones back in August the 5th of 2012. Read those notes. I didn't take anyone. Remember what we were talking about? Uh-uh. Well, it was about why the faithful are faithful. Four things that make you strong, make you have the assurance that God is with you wherever you go, always there. You're going to make it. You will make it. The things that promote that. And he said they were be strong, be of good courage, be not afraid. Don't be dismayed. Turn to Jeremiah 1 so we can begin to close. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 17. Jeremiah was a prophet who had to face only opposition. He never had much success as far as people siding up with him and going along with him. He was called the weeping prophet by some because he spoke the truth to the people who least desired truth in history, he spoke truth to them, and they hated him for it. They hated this man. They hated him because he spoke the truth, and they did not want to hear the truth, and yet they couldn't kill this old fellow. He just kept speaking the truth. They put him in some nasty conditions. They put this man in. They tried to kill him. They couldn't. God kept rescuing him, and he kept telling the truth. The king would say, give me a word. He said, you're going to die. <laughs> put him back in there, and he just couldn't but tell the truth. He was never dismayed. 
He never got so weary that he gave up and quit. Close one time. I think it was chapter 6. Every time I open my mouth, it's doom and gloom. So I said, I'm not going to speak this word anymore. Every time I speak it, it just happens. He said, but you know what he said after that? He said, but your word was in me like fire in my bones, and I could not hold it back. Isn't that good? If you like the Bible, it'd be good. If you didn't, it wouldn't be good. But he said in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17, in there he goes on to say, be not dismayed at their faces, these people that aren't going to respond to you and even agree with you, none of them. But be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound, and that's our word for dismayed there, the word confound, lest I confound thee before them. Now get this picture so you can get what this word dismayed is. I'm going to send you to a bunch of bad people. And he said in chapter 1, we'll give you a head like Flint. Remember that? So you won't collapse in front of them. He said, now, when you face these people, they're not going to hear what you have to say. They're going to sit there and go, ah. Ah, they go, listen. He said, now, don't you be dismayed at their faces. Because if you are, I will confound you just like them. So you got to be strong. You got to hold together and know that the word you have in your mouth is the word that God gave you. It is an everlasting word. It will never pass away. It will be a ticket to heaven. It's a key that unlocks the gates. Hold on to that. Now, in closing, all you Joshuas in here, all you younger, older Joshuas, Deuteronomy says, in accordance with what Joshua said, Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6, it says, Be strong and of good courage. He said it again. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. I want that. He goes with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Now, be of good courage. Don't be given to what you see. Be given to what you know that God is with you. Hebrews 13, 5, For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13, 6, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I ain't afraid of what man will do to me, he said. What's the worst thing that can happen to you in this life? You die. You might die tough, you might die hard, but you die. And once you're dead, they can do whatever they want to. They can make dog food out of you if they want to. Once you're dead, you're dead. That's the worst thing a man can do. And yet, at the moment of death, in one particular instance, when a man was dying, he looked up and he saw heaven. Remember Stephen, when he was being stoned, he looked up and he saw heaven open. And he said, I see him. And he gave up the ghost and just went passed from death to life. They were still throwing stones at his body, and he was up in heaven. Whom should we fear? What should we be afraid of? Your life belongs to God. My life belongs to God. We were bought with a price. Let him take care of things, and let him be in charge of things. Let me leave you with one verse of Scripture before you go home, and I promise you, you will love this, or you can go get the money out of the offering box and take it back home with you. If you don't love this, if you don't like this, Isaiah 41. Isaiah chapter 41. You're going to love this in verse 10, because I remember a moment in my life, in my saved life, in which this is a verse that the Lord brought to my attention. I still remember this, looking out the stained glass windows at night, the street light shining through the windows, looking up from the right side of the front where they did the tape recordings, kneeling over there, looking up there with some other guys, and I remember this verse. Or else I quoted it, and it was part of the, our prayer meeting that particular night. But Isaiah 41 and verse 10, and I'll preface it with this. Do we need more promises? Does God need to give us more promises? That makes as much sense as more gun laws. We've already got a thousand of them. 
It's not more promises that we need. It's not more signs and wonders that we need. Hasn't God spoken enough to us? Doesn't the Bible contain enough of the real deal for us? Do we need more? No. Fear thou not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. And here's what I will do to you in Shelbyville. I will strengthen you. Yea, I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Do you need more? What more do we need? I will be your God. I will be with you where you are I am. I will make you strong. I will hold you up and you will not fall. I will keep you. I've graven you on the palms of my hand, Isaiah said. What more do we need if we read this? That's enough to believe right there. God's going to take care of Brother Tom and Sister Bonnie and the rest of y'all. If you believe, but you got to believe. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. All the world and preach the gospel. Tell them to do the things that I have told you. And listen to these last words of Jesus. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He's here this morning. He's here, right here, right now in this room. He's here. There's not a single thing about anybody in this room that he doesn't know now. He knows everything there could be possible to know about us. Weaknesses and fears, our mistakes yesterday, last week. He knows it. Nothing's hidden. And he is willing to get your attention one more time this morning and say, I want to be your God. I want to be with you. I want to bless everything you do, everything you put your hand to. I want to make it prosper. I want you to be blessed when you go out. I want you to be blessed when you come in. I want you to be a spiritual man or woman. I want my words to impact and empower your life. And I want your testimony to be such that when I come, I will say, well done, a good and faithful servant. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks again this morning for the richness of your word, the goodness of your spirit, for one more opportunity that we have had this morning to assemble together and to listen, to think and ponder and prepare ourselves. I pray you touch every heart in this room, everybody that listens, everybody who watched this morning by the streaming, everybody who listens to these messages, that these words, Lord, not mine, but these words of yours in this book shall get a grip on everybody's heart and bless them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.